Good morning, and welcome to Simply Politics. It's Friday, January 26th. On today's show, amid rumors of Nitish Kumar's exit, Sushil Modi asserts that the doors are never closed in Bihar politics. Plus, as the Hamas war in Israel continues, the question arises, who will be the new leaders in Israel? And the Fed's Powell will have to navigate the world of politics to secure his job. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Politics. We start off with political turmoil stirring in Bihar, as Chief Minister Nitish Kumar is rumored to be rejoining the BJP-led NDA alliance. This comes amidst reports of a rift within the current JDU-RJD government in Bihar. To discuss these developments, we have our correspondent from Simply Politics. Can you shed some light on these rumors and the potential implications? Certainly. Media reports suggest that Nitish Kumar may be sworn in as the Chief Minister of Bihar once again. This speculation was fueled when both JDU and RJD held separate meetings on Thursday night. Former Bihar Deputy CM Sushil Modi commented that the BJP's doors were never fully closed for Nitish Kumar. What has been the reaction from the current government in Bihar? The Bihar chief minister has expressed his discontent with the India bloc after not securing a position in the top leadership of the alliance, despite his vast political experience. This discontent, coupled with comments from RJD Supremo Lalu Yadav's daughter Rohini Acharya about Kumar's changing ideologies, has fueled speculations of a rift within the RJD-JDU. How have other political figures reacted to these developments? Rashtriya Lok Janatha Dal President Upendra Kushwaha has indicated that Nitish Kumar might be considering an exit from the Mahagath Bandhan, or Grand Alliance. Meanwhile, Jitan Ram Manji's son Santosh Kumar has suggested that the government in Bihar may fall soon. Samajwadi Party Chief Akhilesh Yadav has also weighed in, suggesting that Nitish Kumar could become the prime minister if he remains with the India bloc. What are the next steps in this political saga? The situation remains fluid. Bihar Deputy CM and RJD leader Tejashwi Yadav has called an emergency meeting at his official residence in Patna. Meanwhile, the BJP's state executive meeting in Bihar is scheduled for the 27th and 28th of January. We'll have to wait and see how these developments unfold. Thank you for the insights, Abby. Now let's shift our focus to Israel, where Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu faces growing discontent in the aftermath of the war that erupted on October 7th. Despite the catastrophe in which approximately 1,200 Israelis were massacred, Netanyahu has yet to assume responsibility for the events of that day. Instead, he has stated that his only intention is to get rid of Hamas. However, the public sentiment seems to be shifting. Our correspondent for Simply Politics, Bella, is here to discuss this further. Bella, what is the current political climate in Israel? David, there's a growing sense of dissatisfaction with Netanyahu's leadership. Israelis are increasingly joining rallies and protests, calling not just for more action to release the remaining hostages in Hamas captivity, but for a new government entirely. A recent poll indicated that 53% of respondents believed Netanyahu's wartime decisions were driven by personal interests rather than the country's best interest. And what about within Netanyahu's own coalition? Are there signs of dissent there as well? Absolutely. 
there's a growing belief, especially among far-right coalition MKs, that Netanyahu is succumbing to U.S. pressure and may agree to end the war before Hamas is defeated. A petition has been circulated among the coalition's Neset members, calling on the prime minister to follow through on his promise to topple Hamas. What could be the tipping point for Netanyahu's government? Many believe that the tipping point will occur when ministers without portfolio and war cabinet members Benny Gantz and Gadi Eisenkot announce their departure from the government. Eisenkot has recently criticized Netanyahu and suggested that Israeli leadership must earn the public's trust anew via an election. If Gantz and Eisenkot decide that Netanyahu is dragging his feet, or if the conflict with Lebanon is resolved diplomatically, they are likely to leave the government. How would the public respond to Gantz and Eisenkot leaving the government? According to a recent poll, not only is their party polling far ahead of the rest of the field, but Gantz and Eisenkot are far ahead of Netanyahu in head-to-head matchups for suitability to serve as prime minister. Their departure could potentially trigger an election, which analysts and politicians seem to agree is inevitable. What would an election mean for Netanyahu and his Likud party? The Likud party is currently polling at half of its current 32 seats. Likud Knesset members are beginning to realize that with Netanyahu at the helm, the party is likely to lose power in the next election. It's expected that Netanyahu will announce a date for an election when he sees his government teetering due to pressure from parties that are gaining in the polls. What about the other political groups in Israel? How are they likely to fare in a potential election? There are several groups that could play a major part in the next election. The Netanyahu successors within the Likud party could potentially increase the party's seats if they replace Netanyahu as party head. Then there's the new right, which includes figures like former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and former Justice Minister Ayelet Shaked, who could capitalize on the Likud's potential implosion. The new left, which includes parties like Labour and Moretz, could merge and attract other groups into their camp. Finally, there are grassroots groups, such as reservists and young leaders, who could form their own political parties. Thanks for those insights, Bella. It's indeed a complex and volatile political landscape that we'll continue to monitor. Now, shifting gears to the world of finance, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has been making headlines recently with some critics suggesting that his decisions are more politically motivated than data-driven. They argue that Powell's actions, such as keeping interest rates low and expanding the Fed's balance sheet, are aimed at securing his position rather than addressing economic concerns. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent, James. Can you shed some light on these allegations? Certainly, David. Critics argue that Powell's decision to keep interest rates below 1% and expand the Fed's balance sheet to nearly $9 trillion was a politically motivated move to secure his renomination. They point to his swift action to raise interest rates and reduce the money supply after his confirmation for a second term as evidence of this. And why would such moves be seen as politically motivated? The argument is that the short-term effects of raising interest rates and reducing the money supply typically include a slowdown in economic growth and a rise in unemployment. Critics suggest that Powell delayed these actions until after his confirmation to avoid these negative impacts, which could have jeopardized his renomination. 
But isn't the Federal Reserve's mandate to manage inflation and unemployment? Why is this seen as a political move rather than a policy decision? That's a good point, David. However, critics argue that Powell's actions have allowed government and consumers to increase their debt balances, which has fueled spending, but also set up an eventual collapse. They point to Powell's own warning in 2012 about the risks of artificially low interest rates as evidence that he knew the potential consequences of his actions. What are the potential consequences if Powell continues with these policies? Critics argue that returning to low interest rates and money creation could provide a short-term boost to economic growth, but could also reignite inflation. They also suggest that it could expose deeper problems in the banking sector. The late economist Milton Friedman compared this to alcoholism, with the hangover arriving well after the initial buzz. So what's the alternative? Should Powell be taking a different approach? Critics argue that Powell should help America detox from the easy money binge, even though this could lead to short-term pain. They also suggest that institutions like the Fed should have as little power as possible to prevent such situations from arising. Thanks for providing some insight into this contentious issue, James. Now, let's shift our focus to another hot topic in American politics, energy. Despite claims from some Republicans that President Biden has destroyed U.S. energy independence, the reality is that almost every kind of energy is booming in the country. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent from Simply Politics. Indeed, David. While U.S. crude oil production did take a hit during the early stages of the pandemic, it has since recovered and even reached new highs in recent months. In fact, the United States is currently producing more oil than any other country in history. That's quite a feat. And what about natural gas production? U.S. natural gas production has also topped prior records. The country has been a net exporter of crude oil and petroleum products for two years, the longest stretch on record. We've also been exporting more natural gas than we import since 2017. So it seems the U.S. is quite energy independent. Why then is there a narrative of overregulation and undersubsidization of oil and gas companies? Well, it's beneficial for industry groups to maintain this narrative. Democrats, on the other hand, avoid discussing these figures to avoid upsetting their climate-minded base, which advocates for keeping fossil fuels in the ground. And what's driving this U.S. oil boom? There are a few factors. Russia's invasion of Ukraine and production cuts in OPEC-plus countries have pushed global oil prices high enough that U.S. shale oil producers can deliver the stronger returns their investors demand, leading to more oil production. And what about renewable energy? Renewable energy sources like solar and wind have also reached record highs in the past couple of years. This growth is driven by technological improvements and policy changes, such as Biden's 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, which have accelerated development. Interestingly, the places benefiting from the renewable boom are predominantly red states. Why is there reluctance to talk about these achievements in renewable energy? Green energy is still politically coded as left-leaning, even when it benefits conservatives. For Democrats, talking about expanded renewables can be complicated, as voters in Rust Belt states might worry about manufacturing jobs being moved to southern right-to-work states, where new battery and electric vehicle plants have been announced. So, it seems the narrative around energy production in the U.S. is more complex 
than it's often portrayed. Absolutely. The reality is that almost every kind of energy is booming in the U.S., except for coal and nuclear. If Democrats were less hesitant about discussing gains in oil, they could potentially present Biden as a president of both and rather than either or when it comes to energy. That's a perspective worth considering. And with that insightful look into the current state of energy production in the U.S., from our Simply Politics correspondent, Michael, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Politics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.